guess what? To the, to the powers that be, if you will look at the statistics and the research and the data that we have, you're going to see this is a really amazing way where you will get better results with more students looking down the line. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So welcome to Learning Unboxed. We are very excited today uh, to talk about the role of invention in education. And so we have two amazing guests with me today to talk about the Invention League and more nationally, the Invention Convention, and to really sort of understand the amazing opportunity that design thinking and the whole notion of creating, marketing, and pitching ideas can have on students, on schools, on education in general. So uh, we have with us today uh, Robin Hillsmeyer, who is the executive director of Invention League, which is Ohio's version, I guess, if you will, or chapter. And they're going to explain how this all sort of rolls together here in just a minute of the National Invention Convention uh, program um, at large. And so Robin uh, comes to Invention League League as a former teacher, an elementary school teacher in particular out of Northern Ohio. She's based in Cleveland these days. Um, lots of experience in corporate and nonprofit management, 25 years in really thinking about design thinking, the role that it has and the potential impact in the community. Uh, she's also a former foster parent and has three adopted children, um, including some special needs um, children. And so she really thinks very, very holistically about the way that uh, students, schools, and communities can engage in the future of learning, teaching, and work, in, for that matter. So thank you, Robin, for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And also with uh, Robin today is Jim Bruner, who is the president of the Invention League's board. And we asked Jim to come because he has been lifelong and passionate, um, incredibly passionate about design thinking and the work um, that comes with it and comes out of it. The other thing to know about Jim is that he is also with the Past Foundation. Uh, he is one of are uh, very valued um, assets, if you will, probably our biggest champion uh, internally for the work that we do. And he's had 19 years worth of experience either as a judge um, or a participant, a mentor, an advocate for both state and national invention conventions and local um, and state science fairs, anything that has to do with the way students think about the world, Jim is all in. So Jim, thank you for joining us as well. My pleasure. So I want to just sort of roll up our sleeves and dig right in today. And I want to start with sort of setting the stage. Uh, first and foremost, um, Robin, if you 
would. So to share with us the 100,000 foot view of the invention convention nationally, it's sort of it's its aims and scopes, if you will, because that really then sets the stage for what we're doing in particular on the local level. And it's that local sort of work that uh, the folks that are listening are going to be able to really sort of dig into. So uh, set the stage for us. So the invention convention gives students and teachers, and it is school-based, but then in addition to that, we have homeschoolers who can go through the program. So it doesn't necessarily have to be in a traditional school model. But the curriculum is all connected with Common Core, and that's because it helps our teachers out. Today, teachers at this point in time are um, given specific requirements that they need to cover. And um, we want to make sure that everything we do is aligning with what they are doing in the classroom and the state standards. So um, the curriculum is all connected. The students will identify a problem and then go through that problem solving process. So understanding and ideating and designing, building, testing, communicating, all of those different things that they do in the design process. So typically what will happen is each school or even a homeschool, a network will have their invention convention for their area. And um, from there, students are enabled to go to the state competition, uh, which is in July at the Ohio State Fair. And the students who then will move from the Ohio level up to the National Invention Convention, which is held at the Henry Ford in Dearborn, Michigan. So the students who progress from the Ohio Invention Convention are then given the opportunity to go to nationals. And is does Invention Convention or Invention League, depending on how you define it in your particular area, is it available in every state um, in the U.S. or is it just regional or localized? Great question. So Invention Convention is available nationwide. Okay. Each state operates theirs in, in a little different way. They don't all run exactly the same, but the Invention Convention program is something that is available across the country and even internationally now. They they have moved international. And so while we at Invention League operate the Ohio Invention Convention, yes, across the entire United States. Perfect. And and so, Jim, just so that our listeners have a sense of this, so clearly it's a it's a, a, a national and, and international program that has a set of tenants based on the design cycle. But but ultimately at the end of the day, where where do the ideas come from? That that's probably my favorite thing about Invention Convention, is that the ideas actually come from what the kids see in the world. And some of the some of the problems that they identify as needing an invention, a solution, are really remarkable because uh, they, the way that they see the world is so unconstrained. Mm-hmm. And so they identify a problem and the solution that they come up with is inc- incredibly unique. And, and sometimes it's naive, they're young, uh, but other times it's like, why doesn't this exist? Take my money now. It's mm-hmm. just such a great idea. Uh, and that's the part that I fell in love with when I first went to an invention convention in 2000. I was completely 
unassociated with design thinking at that time. Um, and I was working at a ed tech facility for the state and they asked me to be a judge. And I went in thinking, oh, this will be science fair. And I couldn't be more wrong. It was science fair with purpose is what I like to say. Mm -hmm. The kids have to create something that is an answer to a problem and it's a product. And then they sell and market and promote that product with data similar to science fair. But the data is taken from real world learning and from failure, which is the part that I found absolutely fascinating. How fearless these kids are. Failure is a data point to them. And I think that's really the way that we should approach design thinking rather than you get one shot, you better make it count. Mm -hmm. I better, I could iterate this. I could have a product and it didn't work. So I learned from that. And this is my next prototype and my next iteration. And as a designer, that's the world I live in. And it never occurred to me that you could teach kids uh, problem-based learning that way by play and by answering a real world problem that's very important to them. Mm -hmm. Um, You see it a lot, especially with kids with medical history or issues in their family. They come up with some really fascinating solutions to problems that you would never think about. Well, and and their problems are really amazing. And, you know, and, you know, full transparency to our listeners, you know, almost everybody, if you, you mentioned the word science fair, folks have a mental image, whether they've participated or they've been there or not, that's um, fairly ubiquitous, um, you know, that folks understand sort of what the concepting of that is. The first time I ever saw invention convention, I like like Jim, I was just really, really blown away. And the reason we wanted to bring it in as a case study for Learning Unbox is because the impact of this particular type of positive disruption, right? The long-term impact for students who've participated in this program, it's pretty astounding. And so I, it's just one of those things that if there's an opportunity for you to participate or bring it into your community, um, it's definitely one that you should think about and and figure out how to pull it in. So on that note, Robin, a, a few more details about sort of the program design so that folks understand it. You know, how old are the participants? How do you how do you actually get involved and engage or, or even find a program locally where you are? What would that look like? So our students can be anywhere from K clear on up Thus far, we have had a lot of K through eight. Mm -hmm. We recently started expanding up in through the high school years and um, have had some um, inventors come through now that are in high school. And whether you're truly, whether your school district does this or not, a student could come in on their own. Mm -hmm. So ideally, we love to have school districts join us and that would be through the school system typically maybe a STEM director or sometimes a gifted program within that school district would contact us at inventionleague.org and our team would reach out to them, get them all the resources that they need. Uh, But you don't necessarily have to come in that way. You could say, you know what, my school doesn't do this, but I would love to come in on my own just because I love this kind of thing to move forward. And, And we certainly welcome those students just the same as we would coming in through a school district. They, it doesn't matter 
which avenue you use to come into the program. Mm-hmm. And th- there's a lot of information that's uh, readily available. You can just Google Invention Convention and you will get um, you know a lot of resources available to help you sort of figure out and find it locally in your community or your state. So. InventionLeague.org has a good explanation on that process as well. As well. Perfect. Perfect. So, um, so Jim, talk to us just a little bit about sort of the timing. So I want to opt in, whether it's an individual um, or as a school. And so then what happens next? Walk me through... I'm a student and I'm going to participate. Well, so uh, traditionally, the way it's been done has been that a teacher engages uh, with Invention League or Invention Convention, whoever is providing some sort of professional development on how you get kids thinking in the design thinking space, because it's not an intuitive space for traditional education to be in. So we provide uh, professional education opportunities to teachers before the school year begins, and then they opt to integrate it into their education uh, offering for their class. Uh, occasionally, we'll have homeschool groups, as Robin mentioned, that opt in for it. But it happens usually in the fall, early winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really like the kids to be able to percolate on ideas over the holiday because they have the time to do it. And that's when they have downtime to build something because something needs to be built. You need a prototype to, to demonstrate your proof of concept. And then they come back in the spring and there's usually a regional event mm-hmm. that the, the kids compete in that is local so that those kids can be sent to state. Where we have a hiccup right now is that NICE, which is the National Invention Convention, takes place at the end of May, beginning of June. But our state event takes place in July during the summer. Mm. So we have the kids, we have this unique opportunity that the kids have these inventions ready to go. And as board president, I'm working with the former executive director of Invention League, who's now with Nationals, by the way. We decided this is the perfect opportunity to teach the the kind of skills we want these kids to have. Iterate your concept over the rest of the summer. Perfect it. Make it sharper. Make it better. Before you have you have the opportunity to go to NICE. We're one of the only states that does that. And it's kind of an accident, but an, a welcome opportunity for the kids to say, yeah, I could make this better. Yeah, I could make my pitch better. And so they have time to iterate even further. We're looking for opportunities to to shorten that lead time. Um, and as board president, I have been charged with innovating this project. Uh, and that's exactly what I intend to do. I, I intend to disrupt it and make it even more culturally relevant where teachers don't have to be led or shown. This is a way of thinking that we would be a thought leader in this, that Ohio really needs to be integrating this into school because this is how children play, but it's focused play for the good of of humanity and and the good of of society. And a lot of these kids, because they have that time from July through to the next year, actually file for provisional patents. Mm -hmm. 60% of the kids that go through Invention League or Invention Convention in Ohio actually file for provisional patents on their ideas. Which is a stunning, it's just a stunning, stunning statistic, right? And the fact that these kids in these individual pockets are able to do that. So imagine if, and this is the part that gives me sort of, you know, the goosebumps to think about. So imagine if that 
became more mainstream. Oh, I imagine it all the time. I I know you do, Jim. <laughs> it's one of the things that we love most about you. But Robin, you have to live the reality of Jim's imagining, right? So you have this, this um, the Ohio board president of Vincent League saying, hey, this is what I imagine and I want to see that happen. But it's 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 on you day to day, right? To to literally lead this organization into the next iteration or phase of what it's going to do. So how how do you take something like Invention League and and make it mainstream? That because that's something that we struggle with as it relates to innovations in education and workforce development, no matter what the topic is, what grade level. How do you take these innovative, amazing ideas or experiences and make them the everyday? What do you do with that? So it- As the executive director, I see such amazing potential when Jim and I first met for the first time to discuss me coming on board. You know, we we met at a restaurant. He kind of mapped out our future on a napkin and we've, um, I have that napkin and we're going to save it because I said 10 years from now, we're going to pull this out and we're going to, we're going to show that we got there. But, But the question that you asked raises some challenges. Quite frankly, mm-hmm. we see the value. I have seen it firsthand, the amazing way that this can transform the way kids learn. Unfortunately, in our school system, as it stands right now, teachers are required to teach a certain way. It, it is mandated to them and I would love to see as um, we move forward to be able to actually show the data, show that research to say, guess what? To the, to the powers that be, if you will look at the statistics and the research and the data that we have, you're going to see this is a really amazing way where you will get better results with more students looking down the line. Um, so I'd love to, to, to transform that as we go forward. The school districts that we have now um, who come on board will say, all of them, this is amazing. And, and we, we see such valuable uh, outcomes based upon uh, what our students do. And we love that. We want to, to further push that and um, market that, so to speak, and hope Hopefully, get those results to the people that need to hear the results um, in order to to make that happen. Another part of this that I just love, and I'll kind of throw it in here early on, uh, Jim mentioned to me, oh, we really want to make better humans Mm -hmm. through this. And um, I judged for the first time at the Ohio Convention last July. And since that time, I've um, had the chance to meet different inventors. And in addition, um, this past weekend, we had an uh, amazing event where we were working with our group of Ohio delegates who are now going to go on to nationals Mm -hmm. at the end of the month. Um, And and as a person who in my um, personal life kind of lives in the world of disability, with my, my son, I have seen how the kids that are going through this program have such a heart to help. That's one thing. 
They have an amazing heart to help and truly make the world better, whether it be for a specific field. Okay, agriculture. And, and they're working to, to, to do that. Um, just this past uh, couple of weeks, I saw two of the um, inventions who were very, that, that were very clearly designed for the world of disability. Okay, and because I live that, I said, you know what? You are right on. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely what those individuals face, number one. And you're doing something to help them. So, so thank you to those inventors doing that. Um, but they have such an empathy to, to help others and, and make the world a better place. I think another part of this, going back to your original question of how do we see this um, working its way out for the future, I think it's important for us to also bring in business in the business field. And I've spent a lot of years in um business management and can also say that the skills that the kids learn right now, even if they're in second grade and they are working on their projects and and doing the process, um, a second grader is already learning such valuable skills that they will need to be an excellent employee in the future. And an amazing adult and citizen, right? Yeah, as they go about <laughs> influencing and impacting our world. And and I have seen some amazing things come out of Invention Convention. And so, you know, speaking of the kids, you know, Jim, you, you've been immersed for a really long time. And I know that there are standouts. Mm-hmm. Um, so share with me, you know, uh, an example within the last year or so of, uh, of a kid and a project that has such um, such impact on the world. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question because I I have seen two that really stand out to me. For Robin's point, speaking to empathy, but also thinking about holistic thinking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them is a young lady who her grandmother is diabetic, and she noticed the problem was that her grandma couldn't use all the insulin. She gets to a point where there's there's a little insulin left in the bottom of the bottle, but she couldn't get it out, and you can't reuse that insulin. So she would toss the bottle, and the, this, this particular student was like, well, that's, that's dumb. Why mm-hmm. can't you reuse it? And that's where she learned about sterility, and that's where she learned about the FDA. And so she started doing real-world research, I mean, active research on this, and she learned about what sterility means, what those standards are, what the World Health Organization standards are that are different than the Mm -hmm, FDA. mm -hmm. And she started doing surveys. This is a fourth grader doing surveys. And she figured out a way to create uh, a... uh, a device that will spin the tubes under heat and pull all of the insulin through the membrane and catch it, keep it sterile, and then collect enough of it that she could donate to African nations, which she found out have between 110 and 125,000 diagnosed type 1 diabetics. And she could send it there and that insulin wouldn't go to waste. If we can't use it here, it doesn't mean somebody else in the world can't. And she came armed with that data and armed with this vision. And she won the Edison Award this year. There was no way we could not give that to her. And then it goes the other way. Another kid. And I want to stop you first, because if that doesn't give you pause, what you just heard, right? A fourth grader who changed the course of human lives in Africa because of paying attention and 
distilling out an issue uh, that was near and dear to to this child is probably one of the most powerful examples I would would argue for the future of the world. Yes. Right? Well, and if you're a teacher listening to this, this is the fact. She's already thinking two inventions ahead. She's already iterated this and she's thinking about her next invention. So she's applying critical thinking. She's writing. She's doing research. This has motivated her to do active engagement with the world. And that's what I want in an engaged mm-hmm. think- learner, right? I want someone who's thinking about problems and actively attaining skills on their own to make that happen. So, I mean, that's the real power of this. And and this is what you need to leverage as an educator. And I don't know how to get educators to see the validity of this. You want these kids having agency for problems. They have a voice. They have an idea. They have a way of acting on that. All you need to do is give them the standards Give them the space and the time and step away. I, but I think out of fairness, right? I, th- I think we need to be really mindful. I, I, it's the rare educator that I meet that doesn't want that too. Yeah. That what we're really talking about is a misalignment of systems. Yeah, I think you're right, right. Because I think that the intent and Robin's shaking her head, yes. So for those, uh, you know, uh, in, in radio land, uh, you know, we're we're chuckling and laughing and saying yes, right? That this this is not based on a lack of will or want. That this is really about how do we help restructure. The, our existing system of teaching and learning in such a way that it can promote the opportunity that is the 21st century, yeah. right? Because the reality of it is that the the rate and pace of technology and the rate and pace of, of global economic and cultural shift, because it's happening just at a pace we've never even contemplated before, that the way we have to approach the teaching, learning, and future work component of our world is very different. And we're talking about systems that have yet to iterate. So how do we best help those in that space appropriately manage the change and transition? And Robin, as a former teacher, I have no doubt you wrestled with this. So when you think about the things that the kids are doing, what what is your what is your recommendation to that teacher in the classroom that hears this amazing story that Jim just told about this child and this child's potential and says I recognize that every kid in my class is capable of that same thing. What do I do with that? Um, you know, you you touched on it, and, and, and it's true. I'm, I'm shaking my head. Yes, I completely agree with you. I think that teachers, and I have many many friends who are. Um, still teaching in the classroom and would love to have education redesigned. Mm-hmm. And I know that the past foundation talks much about redesigning and, and the, the look of education. And I am in agreement that probably 98.5% of the teachers would want to jump right on board with you in doing that. So I, I think a couple things. We as organizations who have the opportunity to collect the data, collect what we need to show those that um, this is an amazing way for students to get engaged. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can go on 
on two different fronts. So uh, while I taught in a general education classroom years ago, and I was back in the day where we could do it the fun way, you know, and, and we could do project-based learning and, and do all these cool things and have kids experience learning while they're doing things that they thought was just a blast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of Invention Convention and what Invention League is is helping kids do. So I do think teachers would love to do that. I think we need to help equip them mm-hmm. with the um, chance to show show districts, show state leaders that this absolutely makes a difference. Mm -hmm. Um, Another little component that I love about this, and again, it comes from my world that um, has been in general ed and and, in walking through personally special ed. Mm -hmm. This is very inclusive. Exactly. The way that you can pair groups of students together so, you know, in, in, a, in the world of school, have your gifted students paired with your special education classes. And some beautiful scenarios can come out of that on so many different fronts, not just the invention part of it, mm-hmm. but going back to making them a better human. Um, they, um, kids and especially young kids are so loving and typically very accepting. Mm-hmm. We see that very often with younger kids and um, you know they don't necessarily see disabilities the way an adult would. And I think that that is just another little side um, advantage, an amazing thing about this process and redesigning the way education looks that even from a very young age all the way on up, um, we're changing our culture in the way that we look at learning differences and how those two can be merged again for the better and solving real world problems. And I think we're also, to sort of piggyback on what you're saying, Robin, we're also re realigning the way we think about constraints, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's one of the other things that I... And I am reminded over and over again at the past Innovation Lab, I, I joke that, you know, when I'm having a not so great day, you know, the 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 amazing therapeutic thing for me to do is to go out into um into the atrium, the big open uh, collaborative space at the Innovation Lab and just sit and watch what's happening, right? I, I don't even have to interact with uh, with anybody, another a student or or any of the guests that are in the building, but just to observe. And what I see repeatedly over and over again, no matter which group is in there, I see the the lack of constraint in what's happening. And what I mean by that is that, you know, to your point, students, especially young students, don't know what's not possible. And because they don't know that something can't be done or shouldn't be done, or that's not the way we do it, right? Um, They are so incredibly creative. And to your point, they are inclusive in their creativity just by natural design. Uh, Because we, quite frankly, we haven't uh, haven't forced that 
kind of thinking or or way of being out of them. And and I've often said that I would put the kids at the innovation lab up against any R&D team in the world, not because I believe they can come up with better solutions to problems, but because I believe they will come up with better possibilities to the problems. And I think that's a really powerful thing. Um, Jim, you know, you were you were mentioning um, the work of the student. Uh, you said there were two in particular. What what's the second case? So it's the under. I mean, it's the opposite, but its impact is equally valid. It's a young gentleman with Columbus City Schools that came through a program sponsored by AEP, who's one of our corporate sponsors, and his idea was to rethink the the golf ball tee. So what he did was he did a boatload of research on um, water-soluble um, materials that are also biodegradable. And he, he happened upon this one material, and he built a mold out of this material that was the shape of a golf tee. And he did multiple iterations of it to make sure that it would hold up and it wouldn't break when you hit it. And if it did, no big deal. It was low cost. And he created a system where he could create 25 at a time and bake them in an oven for 15 minutes and they were good to go. But his innovation was that he planted seeds, grass seeds, in the middle of the golf tee. So if you leave the golf tee on the grass, the only negative side effect is that more grass grows. And I just thought that was outstanding. And we're going to see that boy in July because he's coming up for state. He did get through regionals because I thought that was an outstanding. But it's just a small Mm -hmm. sidestep to what's the real problem here. You don't have to solve diabetes. Having a problem that people can relate to, like golfers who have to go back and find their tees. No, you don't. And he calls it the echo tee, Mm -hmm. which I thought was just great marketing, and he had a whole business plan around it, and he'd done lots of research with his granddad on the golf course. And a, a good friend of mine is, is her whole family are golfers. And I thought, oh my God, Lori would love this. And it was just such a great idea. Mm-hmm. And it's an example of why hasn't someone done this? Mm-hmm. You know, he figured it out. And and the reality is it was that natural curiosity that yes. led him down that road. And 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 think about the fact that, you know, as a as a, a planet, as a system, a global system, we are actively right now trying to reduce our impact on the planet. Exactly. You know, everything is about recycling and 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 so on and so forth. And this kid just, you know, completely worked around kind of what's happening to a to a practical point in time and space that's about I don't have to recycle anything because I'm actually going to grow something instead. Well, and that's the thing. On his board, prominently featured was the number 16,000. And you asked him, what is 16,000? He said, that's the number of birch trees we process every year for golf tees. Wow. Every year. What's that carbon footprint? I know. know. What's the equation of the energy lost, consumed, and so on? And, And again, those are the kinds of things that through this type of teaching and learning that I think are, are the the big, giant, powerful wins. And I, I also think that as schools think about how do I bring these types of programming in, at the end of the day, you know, Robin, part of it, it's basic economics, right? We, we have this sort of uh, this, this test or perish ethos that's often attached to schools, not always, out of fairness, but often it is, right? And and so, but there's a there's an economic impact of that sort of 
ideology, the ethos of if that is what school is about, then it's going to get us here. But the reality is if we transition and make it about, you know, solving world problems or, 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 or changing the way we think about who we are and our role in that, it's a very different economic impact. And the reality is just, just purely from that sort of standpoint, if you think about the economic drivers tied to why we do what we do, we are going to get a lot further down the road, have mm-hmm. larger income, bigger, bigger profits, bigger opportunity, because we've transitioned the way we think about where we interact. Well, I also think exposure is a big component of this as well. You asked how we get more teachers and students engaged. It's exposure. They need mm-hmm. to know, one, this opportunity exists. Like last weekend, uh, another one of our corporate sponsors is Honda, and they asked us to hold a mock invention convention at Honda, the first of its kind in the nation, where a private company asks us, let us hold an invention convention. Let's rethink this model. It doesn't have to be in schools. Why couldn't it be here? And the innovation there was not only that a private entity was doing this, but they wanted opportunities for their young professionals to mentor these young people. Mm -hmm. Because Honda's been sponsoring Invention Convention for eight years now, and their employees come back hyper-energized to do more work for Honda Mm -hmm. because they see the value of this kind of mentorship. So they wanted to build a mentorship opportunity in, and I totally think that's the way all Invention Conventions should go because that opportunity for Honda employees to mentor these young people, Mm -hmm. they judge them first, but then they come back and say, you know what, if you really want to knock this out of the park, think about this skill or think about this number. Think about how you're acting on your data. Think about how you're collecting your data. I mean, just real moment to moment mm-hmm. mentorship. That's the future of education. And in a hyper-connected world with social media and access, this is this is the way it, it should be evolving. We should be using social media and access to the internet intentionally. It's part of these digital natives' lives. Let's evolve it that way. So that's my board president hat talking, but that's one way we can do it. People need to know the opportunities out there. Take it. So, Robin, tell us a little bit about what that looked like then at Honda. So, were these the same um, ideas that kids have been working on, or was there a new set of challenges that this sort of uh, spoke to? How how was the structure of this different than what you've been doing before? So, um, as we mentioned earlier, our our kids have their Ohio convention in July, and so they have an entire almost mm-hmm. an entire year before they are heading off to nationals. So they've had time to work on it. So um, I, I see it as moving further. So you start with your kids going through um, the local and the you know the regional area. So you're kind of going through kids who just went through it to have fun mm-hmm. and to come up with an idea to get those who have some pretty great ideas. And now they are moving on um, to further levels. So the kids that were with us last week at Honda were all kids who will be going to nationals. And we took groups. Um, all the kids are judged in circles. And that's just the same as they are at the state uh, competition as well, as they will be in addition at the national level. So we took an experienced judge and put them with um, another judge that might not be as um, experienced. And they worked with the students, gave them a chance to do their their big pitch, just like they will do at nationals. And 
Then we let the kids go. The groups of judges got together and collaborated, looked at all of their data and their research and their logbooks. And then this is where the mentorship piece comes through that Jim was talking about that um, was new. And and all of us just kind of walked away saying, wow, that was amazing. Because we had this each of the inventions, whether they were individuals or teams mm-hmm. who invented together, came back and sat down with the judges who then spent 15 minutes with them, just truly mentoring. Tell them, you know, here's all the things that we thought were great. You did excellent at all of these things. Now, next month, when you are in front of the judges at National, here's some suggestions we have Mm -hmm. that can help you be even better prepared for what you're going to face um, at the national level. And um, it, it didn't matter whether it was student, parent, or judge, all of those sides. Uh, we didn't hear one negative comment. We were pretty jazzed about mm-hmm. um, how everybody felt about it. And, and truly, um, for the purpose of how do we help the kids be even better? So they already have a passion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are kids who love what they do and um, love their invention and truly want to make it better and, and see it go as far as they possibly can. Yeah, that, and it's just, it's an awesome thing to behold. So Jim, is there is there middle ground? Um, so, um, you know, at, at past, we often talk about the opportunity to toss kids in to solve problems and then to uh, to very quickly get all the way to pitch, which is essentially the gist of Invention Convention Invention mm-hmm. League. But is there is there a, a, an opportunity here to sort of take what you do natively with Invention Convention and through uh, Ohio Invention League and the idea that you just sort of went through at Honda and create a, a localized fast Pitch. So I'm, I'm also I'm I'm thinking sort of a combination of um, invention convention meets startup weekend. Exactly. Right, because it would seem to me that that that's a localized opportunity. That even if you can't leverage to participate in convention invention convention statewide, you have a local opportunity to take on the flavors of it as a mechanism to introduce it. That is definitely something I want to explore actively. Uh, I want to commit resources to it. Every community could be doing. This. I mean, we kind of do it at past in a sense when you think about our design challenges or our summer programs, right? They're very, very short in duration versions of what you're talking about. And I would also assume that, you know, sort of in the future of Ohio Invention League is, is some type of, of summer or very dedicated experience that could be made available in a short duration, you know, all within that sort of lens of I've got this captive audience, right? right? And and we're we're looking to do something else. So I mm-hmm. think there's some intriguing possibilities wound through all of this. So as we think about sort of wrapping here, I always like to end these conversations with, you know, a, a, a sort of 
high toss, so to speak. Um, so Robin, you know, for, for our teachers who are listening to this today, um, you know, if you who, who are contemplating taking this on, what, what's your one piece of keep in mind or don't forget, or if I had to do it over again, this is the thing that I would, I would be mindful of uh, as it relates to bringing Invention Convention to your community? Um, you know what? I, I think because teachers are oftentimes um, so concerned about getting all of their standards met that they have to meet by certain times, um, I would want to encourage teachers to know, you know what? We have it all mapped out. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do that. I want to save you time. I'm um, having been a teacher. I completely understand that um, you... People say, oh, you're off three months a year. Huh? You know, wow, what a job. No, they really aren't. They work mm-hmm. 12 months a year and they work really hard all year. So we as Invention League want to make it as easy as we possibly can for you and your students. So um, we will walk you through and help you to do that. So that it's um, not something that, someone would think is a burden. It's the total opposite. It's um, it, it's a great opportunity and, and you actually have a whole team working behind you to help make your job easier. That's so awesome. Every teacher wants to hear, what could make my job easier? Yeah, exactly. And and I would I would add it's a joyous experience. Doing invention convention is a joyous is. experience. So so Jim, leave us with that. So I think this idea of a summer camp uh, around Invention Convention is an interesting one and one I'm really interested in exploring because it activates the third uh, participant here, which are the parents mm-hmm. and the community mm-hmm. who largely sit passive because of a taboo that was established a century ago in science fairs that you need to let the kid explore himself. That's not the new reality. The new reality is teamwork. The future of work is collaboration and the future of work is the whole community coming together to make this happen. The kids can do the work. They need the help uh, of business and industry leaders, educators and parents working in tandem. And I'd like to activate that. So I'm throwing down, let's restart the idea of invention convention over the summer when kids are playing. You, As you're playing, take a camp, Mm -hmm. uh, find a camp, start your own camp Mm -hmm. and, and come up with a problem. It's super easy to do. Like Robin said, we have all the resources on our website, inventionleague.org, the journal, the questions, the standards. Have Find the problem, find three of them, select one, come up with a solution, and compete with yourselves, mm-hmm. with your brothers and sisters, with your town, or have your business and industry partner, if you find one who's strong in your community, have them sponsor it. Honda showed us a proof of concept that worked beautifully at a very low lift. This is how we innovate. We try it, we refine it, and we do it better the next time. So that's that's my call to action. Because at the end of the day, the future of work is, in fact, learning, right? It is. We, we have a, a wonderful colleague, Heather McGowan, who, who um, advocates for that um, all the time. And the reality of it is the future of work truly is being a lifelong, agile learner. Yes. And things like invention convention help us down that path. They really do. 
So I want to um, thank both of you very much for taking time out of your day and joining us in this conversation. For our listeners, uh, we will have resources posted. Uh, You'll be able to dig in and learn more. Um, Please ask questions. Join us in this conversation and join us on this journey of better understanding, teaching, learning, and the future of work. So thank you both. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.